0: Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. Now on this week's show I'm chatting with Tina Leonard who's the Head of Advocacy and Public Affairs with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland. Thanks for taking my call Tina. Oh, you're welcome. It's lovely to talk to you, Ellen. And to you. Now, I have to tell you, I'm confused about Alzheimer's, OK? Let's begin by making this interview difficult. OK. I'm confused because, as a child, people always talked about older people being senile. And it was always older people, and it was always referred to as senility. Then it became dementia, then it became Alzheimer's, but now you seem to be referring to dementia on the Alzheimer's website. Is it all the same thing?
1: dementia is the umbrella term and what it does you know so it describes all of the different conditions um that uh and the most uh, the most common one is alzheimer's and the second most common for example would be vascular dementia there are other dementias like lewy body dementia temporal uh, frontal temporal lobe lots and hundreds and hundreds of different types of dementias identified actually but um, the umbrella term is dementia. And it's so interesting, Ellen, that you talk about how it's been described in different ways over the years and mm-hmm. over the decades. Uh, and it's so true because um, I, I suppose a few decades ago, people didn't think of uh, Alzheimer's or any form of dementia as a in, a, in disease terms. As you said, people thought it's a normal part of ageing. People use those words senile or doting or, you know, that sort of language.
0: And that was exactly the perception that as you got older, your memory faded and it almost came with the territory. Yeah. And
1: uh, and that really isn't the case at all. It is the case that, as with a lot of other uh, chronic diseases, um, that dementia does affect uh, older people in, in greater numbers. So there are more people over the age of 65 than there are under, but there still are significant people under that, a significant amount of people under that age as well. So, for example, in Ireland, there are 64,000 people with dementia and, you know, approximately 6,000 or so will be under the age of 65. So it isn't a, a disease that can. I mean, the first thing to say is that it is a disease. It isn't. A, it isn't a construct of ageing. Mm-hmm. It is. A, you know, there. are the changes are happening within the brain to to have an effect that causes cognitive um, function decline and difficulty carrying out day-to-day tasks. Um, and so, so that's the first thing that I think everyone needs to be aware. And it changes. Knowing that something is a disease and can affect people at any age changes the perception, I hope, from one that is something to be expected or to be embarrassed about or that has stigma. You know, there's no shame in having a disease.
0: I was actually Um, thinking it changes the tolerance, I would imagine, once it's identified as a disease as opposed to something that you might be a little bit ashamed of or isn't it interesting how our perceptions have changed? I was looking at a a program about Glen Campbell at maybe a year ago. In his final years, he had dementia or some form That's of dementia right. and he went into a nursing home. But I remember his wife, the, the, what struck me from the program was that his wife had minded him for as many years as she possibly could until she found him one day trying to eat a tube of glue. And at that point, she said she really needed to put him into a nursing home where he would be safer. And I found myself thinking, I don't remember anything like that when I was a child. Was it that we didn't talk about it? Is it that there's a new strain almost of dementia? My association was with people who literally just became more forgetful. So you minded them a lot more and you watched out for them a lot more. But I don't remember anything that... Could almost amount to them endangering their own lives as a result. Was it always there, and we just treated it in a different yeah, way?
1: It was always there, and the thinking and the scientific research about it has has changed a lot. I think that's the main thing. I mean, the the word Alzheimer's comes from the name of a doctor, Doctor Alois Alzheimer, and he gave his name to a disease that he discovered in in around 1911. So that was a long time ago. It was actually in a a younger woman um but but then following in the decades on from that i suppose there wasn't enough medical and scientific research to understand exactly what all of these diseases were so you know in, in you, up until 30 or so years ago people didn't treat it or talk about it in that way in in using the language of disease and so on so everyone has had to change their um perception uh, and also the way in which people are treated and the way in which services and so on are offered. A lot hasn't caught up now yet, but uh, we can talk about that perhaps as well.
0: Oh, um, oh we'll but, come to that most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but tell tell me something, if it's a disease and the obvious question, if it's something like cancer and it's lung cancer, yeah. then at least I know that obviously if I smoke, I contribute to the chances of getting lung cancer. Are there things that people do that contribute to the chances of them getting any form of dementia?
1: Yes, there are known risk factors and there has been a lot of research done on this. And the risk factors really are things that you that will be quite common when you talk about the risk in getting other diseases, such as heart disease, um, cardiovascular disease. So the the risk factors are, um, uh, uh, you know, n- not having a healthy diet, drinking too much, smoking, uh, stress is another big risk factor. Um, and a, a really interesting one that doesn't always come up in, in other disease areas is uh, the socialization one and um keeping your brain uh, active so uh, and lifelong learning and by that i don't mean that you have to be you know go to college all of your life but what has been found in the research is that people who ha- who have um been in occupations or just with their own habits kept keep using their brain over and over means the brain becomes stronger so if you think of it like it's um, a muscle that you're exercising yeah, exactly. really I mean, the brain is plastic, and that wasn't always known either. So the brain is changing all the time at every age. Um, it's 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 still changeable. So if you go to the gym and you're working out and you build a really strong arm arms, let's say the arms can withstand more pressure, and it's the same in brains. If you're using you, using your brain all the time, all the time, it becomes the muscle becomes stronger, and in turn can also withstand pressure from disease that might come in. So it, it might. So the, the what what the literature says is that if everyone was really, obviously, lived amazingly healthy, (laughs) healthy lives and and reduced our risk, uh, you know, those risk elements, that, um, of course, you can't guarantee that you wouldn't get the disease at all, but you could at least um, uh, delay... But you're in a better position
0: to fight it if you are attacked by it. You could
1: delay a sunset, Mm. you know. And such interesting studies done on that, Ellen, you know, um, and especially, you know, there's one very famous study of a group of people... Um, who were living in a community, they were a religious community, and um after a lot of um uh, them had passed away and uh, autopsies were carried out, and the disease was discovered in their brain post mortem but these people had no symptoms um so it's it just very interesting that, yeah, it just shows that it can take what we know is that it can take years for um onset of the disease or, uh, or for onset of the symptoms of the disease after the disease is already present if you see what I mean. So if someone, someone's symptoms might start um, and symptoms are progressive so they'll start in a small way and progress until someone is really very unwell but the, the, the pathology of the disease might be pre- present in somebody's brain for 10, 20 years even before that so, all in, in terms of research at the moment for treatment and cure, because of course there's no cure, I mean, that's the awful mm-hmm. thing at the moment. Um, a, a lot of the research, or nearly all of the research at the moment, clinical research, is looking at treatment, uh, drug treatment for people before or at very early onset of yeah, symptoms.
0: I presume, how would you prevent or how I would you slow down?
1: Exactly, it's the same idea as like getting putting in stents or something to prevent someone getting heart disease. That's where the the, the clinical and medical research focuses at the moment, and just. I, you know, cross all fingers and toes that we see something happen there in our lifetime because it's been a long... This is a big disease that that really affects a huge number of people and it is life-limiting and life-ending, you know. Well, now, and you said um, in
0: Ireland alone, mm-hmm. there are... Sorry for cross-talk There are 64,000 people with dementia mm-hmm. and 6,000 of them are under 65. Is there a notable change in the profile in the last, say, 10 years or so? Are people getting dementia younger? Are they older? Is it affecting them... Uh, more quickly are there any noticeable changes at all or is yeah, it the same
1: it's a really interesting question and it's it's not it's not easy to answer so clearly because um more people are coming forward and being diagnosed so when that happens you can you know you can see who the person is and what age category they're in and so on so if you imagine some years back people didn't get a diagnosis at all um, you know, and younger people often—people uh, in the medical profession wouldn't have even thought of dementia for a younger person. They wouldn't even have thought of it as a diagnosis or for doing tests in relation to that. Right. So we're—so you know—so the question is, what is the difference now? Are there more people now, or is it that more people are um, being identified? Are being yeah, and being identified. So, so there's, there's a, you know, so it's it's difficult to know exactly what the answer is just because we don't have the data to follow that through. But I, you know, I know for sure, and I'm sure you can think of people, and everyone listening can think of people that they know, certainly in the past, who might have been elderly and had had some cognitive issues, and people just brushed it off, you know, and that and that person mightn't have had a diagnosis of anything. So it's really difficult to know what numbers were there and are there um but certainly there are um there are a lot of people who are younger and it brings with it then you know really other diff difficulties that people hadn't previously thought about in terms of dementia people with younger families people who are working you know all just ter- it's terribly terribly sad really ellen you know a lot of difficult situations for families around the country
0: and when you mention families then one of the things that i was really conscious of during this pandemic is that when it struck an awful lot of services and I don't know anything about how Alzheimer's services work, uh, yeah. but an awful lot of services for people seem to dry up. So while people were kind of giving out and saying I'm very isolated and I can only walk within five kilometres and, and I understand all of that, there must have been people who were desperately isolated because yeah. they were catering. They were looking after somebody with Alzheimer's whose kind of support system was cut off in a lot of ways. Have you seen them being impacted much more in the past yeah. year?
1: The, the, the simple answer is absolutely yes. I mean, you, you've, you've hit on it absolutely, the isolation. And what happened in terms of services was that everything closed down, uh, like everything else. So, for example, mm-hmm. at the Alzheimer's Society, we have 48 day centres. And we support groups and uh, ca- social clubs and cafes and all of these things that are face-to-face services. And they all closed, you know, overnight. So um, we, what we scrambled to do and what is still the case now, because none of them are still open, is that um, we pushed as many services as possible online and over the phone. So we also have a helpline, online family care training, you know, so, uh, and clubs and cafes and support groups all went online. But it, uh, From our day centres, we started telephoning out to people and sending out activity packs and things like that. And then um, in late summer, we developed a service called Daycare in the Home. So my colleagues who work in daycare are actually now calling into the homes of people to do a few hours one-to-one with somebody. So there's something there. But the the really... The um, important thing is that what's missing in all of the services I've got described, which are great and are a lifeline for many,
0: mm-hmm. is
1: that there's no there's no peer socialisation, there's no face to face contact, and what we know also from the research is that for somebody who has dementia, it's really important to stay well, it's really important to stay active, and to stay involved with others, and that socialising bit. I mean, I think we all even know that it can't happen. It can't happen during a
0: pandemic. Uh, Let me just take a very quick commercial break here and we'll be back to you right after this. You're listening to the Mediascope show with Ellen Gunning on 103.2 Dublin City FM. Welcome back. I'm chatting with Tina Leonard, the Head of Advocacy and Public Affairs with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland. And we're really digging into, I suppose, all of the issues that affect people with Alzheimer's and carers who look after them. Speaking of issues, let me move you through to what are the key issues? I'm conscious that you're also Head of Advocacy and advocates get out there and fight for the people that they're representing. So what are the issues that you're, you're facing at the moment? And what are the issues that you're trying to get change on?
1: Yeah, gosh, there's there's so much because there's so much that yet needs to be done and provided for to support people living with dementia and their families. Um, the, the big focus at the moment, of course, is COVID, and we were talking there before the break about the impact of of COVID, mm-hmm. and you know what we're seeing, unfortunately, because of the um, the, the the usual services not being there is that a deterioration in the health of people uh, with dementia um, who, who would have attended services, been with, you know, and spent days with uh, people who are in the same position as them. Um, and actually, and when we cut for the break,
0: you were talking about the fact that you and I and everybody else misses the fact that we can't see people
1: yeah, uh, and Absolutely. meet them for
0: coffees and have chats yeah. and how much worse that must be for somebody with dementia
1: yeah because what we hear is like people say well this is my safe place i don't have to spend all the energy pretending or trying to get things right or wrong you can just be yourself and everyone there understands and you're doing you know we we provide um person centered um dementia specific um activities and therapies and and all of that at our centers but what it also means is that let's say a spouse or a child an adult child or somebody who is who is looking after that person at home isn't getting that break and time to themselves either. So what we've seen, while we've seen deterioration in, in, in some people with dementia, what we've seen also is extreme stress on the family care side. And we've actually researched this um, throughout the year. So we had two reports looking at the impact of COVID on dementia last year and mm-hmm. a third one coming out soon, actually. We're just finalising it. And we've been tracking people's experiences. And it it just makes for very, very tough reading, to be honest, because even in our first report at the end of April, you know, family carers were worrying about being forgotten about and about being isolated. And then as you come through the summer into autumn, you see that's exactly what happened. And now, you know, it was even at that stage, my colleagues, for example, who work on our helpline were starting to say that the calls were going dark. That was the language they used. Mm. And now you're now we're months later, Ellen, and the situation is still the same. And I know that from evaluations we've done of our new remote services, that you know, that, that my colleagues calling into people's homes, making calls out to people, as little as one call a week and a pack and a couple of hours a day or whatever it is. Is a, is a lifeline, you know, for some families. A but lifeline, you can understand lifeline. it. I mean lifeline. Oh,
0: you, know? you could understand it because yeah. if you were so isolated, having anybody to talk to
1: Yeah. who, no who isn't in that immediate
0: around. small circle. Oh. Um, the other thing that struck me when you were talking there was you said the pressure, it eases the pressure to be someone or to, uh, to try and project in a way that you... You isn't normal, I suppose. And we all do that. So the, the carers are trying to project. Um, it makes sense. This I can cope with it all. We're fine. Um, we're doing grand because you don't want to let the side down or something. Are the people with dementia very conscious of are they under stress, knowing that there are things that they don't know and they're putting people under pressure?
1: yeah I think it, it the answer is it depends on the person and it will depend on the stage of progression of the disease that somebody is in you know in an earlier and mid stages where someone really is aware of the difficulties that they have um and maybe you know they're and they're trying they're you know trying to uh, uh to say the right thing or find the word you know people talk about being able to see the word but not being able to grasp it, be mm-hmm. not being able to say it, you know. if It's understandable if you're in company with other people, you might want to try and, you know, form the sentence correctly or find the word or follow the conversation. It can be very difficult. Uh, that kind of sequencing, you know, following a task from A to B to C to D or following a conversation can be very difficult for some people. So if you are with a group of people, the energy it takes to try and follow um, can be great, and people often talk to us about being absolutely exhausted after try, you know, things like that. So, if but you can understand
0: with, that if it was yeah. difficult, th- things that we take for granted. If you were actually yeah. sitting there saying, "What did they say last? And where are we going with this? Yeah. And should I be commenting at all?" That is a huge pressure.
1: It's a huge pressure because it is the sequencing of things can be difficult. You know, whether that's baking something and following a recipe that might be impossible, or following text on a page you know there's lots of it's not people think of alzheimer's as, as memory but um yeah people can can forget of course uh especially recent events and memory sort of uh you know the, the memory loss could start from more recent and go down to the past but some dementias don't even have that as a big feature but uh, there's cognitive um change in, in in all forms of dementia so you know people could have difficulty um with everyday tasks, like, as I said, following the sequence of something. um, People, you know, there are all sorts of things like sense of taste, sense of smell, language um personality uh mood so many things can change and we, we take for granted really ordinary things like i made a cup of tea um just just before uh, we started talking Ellen, mm-hmm. and that required me, me too
0: i have to tell you <laughs> <laughs> but
1: <think of> <laughs> good so at least we both have a nice <laughs> cup of tea but think of all of the things that took we had to say to ourselves we're thirsty we'd love a cup of tea then you had to go to the kitchen and, and put water in a kettle and turn it on. Get a cup, get a tea bag, whatever. Uh, know to put the water once boiled in the cup. Um, and and put follow milk those steps you want all them. the way through. Exactly. And even to know then to bring it to your mouth and to know to swallow. You know, In very late stages, people don't know, don't always know how to coordinate all of that.
0: And um, is so there any benefit to people... Um, being at home versus being in a nursing home. So, you know, the way if people have something like a, a different form of disease, if they have a cancer or they have um, something which doesn't affect the mind, um, people will say to you "But the comfort of having my family around me and knowing that they're around me and that I, I stayed at home and uh, I, I died peacefully or whatever. If dementia suffers, I'm imagining, don't actually recognise family around is there a benefit to them being at home are they better in a nursing home what's your general take on that
1: yeah so it's such an interesting question and it links in with your previous one about what are we advocating for because it's it's a lot of it is about that is about services to allow people to stay in their own home mm-hmm. because people do say to us over and over again if I could I would stay in my own home if I could I would stay in my own home but that requires so many different things so first of all it would require more home care, um, and there there have been pilots of intensive home care packages for people with dementia. And in last year's budget, there was more money for for home care. So we want to see more of that, and and we not task oriented, but person centred home care. Like somebody with dementia, especially in earlier stages, might not need any uh, support, um, showering or getting dressed or anything, but just someone to sit with them, maybe you know things like that. So it's almost
0: companionship.
1: Yeah, they're, and they're a lovely befriending, um, and you know, or someone to go for a walk with and, and, and things like that. So there's all of that into the home service, um, but also that the person in the community would have access to things in the community like clubs and cafes and, and uh, te- speech therapy or physiotherapy or whatever it is they need. And then that whoever else, if there is someone else in the home, uh, um, a spouse or an adult uh, uh, child who's caring, for example, that those people would also need support. So uh, groups to go to, time for themselves, um, counselling, support sessions, training, whatever it has been. So all of those things would have to be set up. And actually what we've been advocating for for several years is statutory home care. You know, we have an entitlement to nursing home care, but not to, you know, to we have a, an entitlement to live in a nursing home, but not to live in our own home if we need support. So now that is on the cards for this government. And, and I believe there will be a, a pilot of that later this year, which is good news. Uh, but that's one bit. And then all the community supports would, would, would need to be in place to support that as well. So that is a big thing. People do say they want to be at home. But at the moment, there isn't really much choice because once someone's, support needs are really great then unless there's strong support coming into that home people can't support you They know, just can't cope that with, that with the best will in the world yeah, yes, Have exactly.
0: you any idea what what the budgetary implications are? You said that in, in the last budget there was some kind of allowance for home care mm. I, I presume you've done the figures on the The value, which is an awful way to describe health, but the value to the government of having somebody at home and minded at home, which is multiple times cheaper than putting somebody into a nursing home. And it's also in terms of the quality of their life. It's much better. Um, Is the government sort of moving in your direction at all, do you think? Are they seeing the sense of it?
1: They are, they see it, but I think it's like moving around a... Jo- Do you know what it's like? It's like moving around that ship that was stuck in... <laughs>
0: Still stuck, I think. <laughs> Will be for months. <laughs> oh, God, it's a, it's, a slow,
1: it's a slow thing because all of the government policies really point to, um, you know, when you look at their national dementia strategy, care strategy, ageing policies, it's all about enabling people to stay in the home and taking pressure off acute hospitals, right? Um, because that costs a lot, and um, we, we know how, how blocked they can be. But it seems to be really slow, um, you know, turning all of that around into practice. And we do know, as you said, that, you know, you're looking at the cost of the state of dementia care. You're looking at about, um, about half, nearly half of that is covered by informal family carers. And if you take the other half of the pie, um, so I'm talking about nearly one9 billion. So nearly half of that is 800 and something million would be covered by family carers. And then if you look at the other half of the pie, the vast majority of the cost is associated with acute or hospital care and only a tiny percentage of the pie, about 9% of the pie of the the, the, uh, costs are associated with community supports and services. So you can see where policies might say one thing and, and strategies might say one thing but when you look at what cost what is covering the cost it's the informal family care and hospital and only a small amount then um, going towards community. So families are covering, taking huge load and covering all of that and saving the state millions and millions and millions. And then the, the state is, is putting a disproportionate amount of money into hospital care compared to
0: it's interesting uh, because i don't know of any disease uh, alzheimer's included where family members would not immediately respond by saying look anything we can do we will do yeah, um, and, and there isn't like we don't count the cost we're family That's so it. if we can do it we will so from the state's point of view it's a massive saving and it's a willing saving
1: yeah. people are
0: willing to do it so to, to concentrate like nine percent of the budget on community services as opposed to I know hospitalization is important but it really takes a big shift from the top does it need does it need somebody who has had close experience of alzheimer's to say i i know how this pans out i need to to drive this agenda in government does it need sort of one person who is almost the alzheimer's advocate in government yeah. any government yeah
1: we need champions absolutely and we have built some um uh, uh, I would say the Mary Butler, who's the the, the Minister of State at the Department of Health and the Minister responsible for older people, she is a champion, I would say, and she was formerly in the last government. She was co-chair of our old Party Arthritis Group on dementia. So what we've been working at over the last number of years in the Alzheimer's Society is really pushing that, raising awareness among politicians, building engagement, um, so that things can happen. And actually, last year's the budget that that was announced. Um, last October for this year, um, there was twelve million for dementia in that. Now that was the first. And Mary Butler, Minister Mary Butler was in the role. Um, so, so you're definitely making so
0: progress. So we're listen, making, we're, we're I am in going the door, to in the door, Ellen, I am going, going to paraphrase it. our our conversation here today, right? By saying that what you're looking for is more person centred services. You want access to services in the community. You want more research. You want support for carers. And you're actually saying, "Well done to Minister Mary Butler." And could we have an awful lot more, please? Tina Leonard, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for joining me today. Oh,
1: lovely to chat to you too. Thank you very much, Ellen. Take care.
0: All the best. Well now, that's all I have for you for this week. If you have information you'd like to share with listeners or you have a good story to tell, then please email me on mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programmes on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. My thanks to Tina Leonard and thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time next week. So until then, goodbye.